The intriguing case of the Utah Jazz forgotten player, Taylin Horton Tucker. And where does he fit in? Next on Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Can you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps as well as on YouTube, join the sec comment section. A lot of comments I expect today in regards to where you fit. I think Taylor Horton Tucker fits and what it means and what his role is with the Jazz. So I'm excited to come back and look at those. And sometimes I even follow live as we debut on on YouTube at 8.30 every morning. Uh, if I'm not in the gym, I'll sometimes come back and watch the comments come in live uh, on the show. It's fun. Appreciate the community uh, that's out there. Thank you to the everydayers who are driving that, who are all a part of it. Uh, I have to share a funny thing. So we do this. So... I don't know, those of you who are ever cycle, um, I was road biking yesterday and coming up Browns Canyon and a brutal crosswind. So I, I don't, I've heard people say like in the wind, you're supposed to like, same thing with golf, you're supposed to like tie, like loosen up your grip. Okay, who are you kidding? I went to Scotland and got so tight I couldn't hit a golf ball with the wind. Um, and so yesterday, super brutal crosswind with big trucks going by. The, the construction in Heber and Camas has led to just a mammoth amount of construction trucks driving by on Browns Canyon, which is unfortunate, but reality. And uh, so they're just tossing you everywhere. It's just kind of harrowing. And I am so sore today that literally when I went to go do this, to go do that, I was like, uh, uh, to do the dr stupid drum roll. I almost thought I couldn't do it. So that maybe that's another sign of getting old. It's the week of David getting old. It's guys in YouTube thinking I have a black eye when it's just an age spot. It's all those fun things. All right, I'm super intrigued by Taylor Horton Tucker for a few reasons. So one is that Taylor Horton Tucker is young, I think kind of forgotten. Like, right, if you hear a conversation about the, and maybe rightfully, we'll see, but we'll, we'll dig into it. Uh, but you hear, you know, first thing is you hear somebody talk about the jazz and their young pieces and all those things. You hear Ochai Abaji and Walker Kessler and then Colin will get mentioned. Okay, so... Ochai is 23 years old and 98 days, and Taylor Horton Tucker is 22. So that's the first thing that really, really intrigues me, is that, like, if you look at the age, Taylor Horton Tucker was the youngest player out of college to go pro, and then has spent all this time in the NBA so far in his career, in which he played for the Jazz and the Lakers, and feels old and looks old, frankly. He doesn't look like a baby face. Like, he just doesn't. And so here's a guy who's got a 200 NBA games under his belt, about 44 starts, 45 starts. And he's only 22 years old. Collins, 24, I think, you know, that's perfectly young enough to still be developing. And we kind of believe that that's the case. He averaged 24 a game in Cleveland and is super exciting. Was now evolving how to do that efficiently and effectively on a, on a good basketball team. Um. And then, you know, I, and then there's a lot of Chris Dunn love after his really strong performance and his kind of endearing story to everything. And Chris is 29. 
Okay. So it's interesting to me that like when we talk about this and we talk about the guard rotation, we're talking about Jordan and Ochai and then Keontae George is coming, right? So that, and Keontae George is still truly the baby of the group. Talon just kind of gets dropped off and forgotten, which, okay. He does have a superpower. Like his ability with his size in a league that's getting bigger at 6'4", and he's 234 is what he's listed at. And maybe that number can come down and he actually has even a bigger superpower if he gains, if he loses some weight and gains some more explosiveness, or maybe not. Maybe that is his superpower. I don't know. I always get super nervous when we decide, oh, we got that person's got to shed 15 pounds. And then you actually find out, well, that 15 pounds was actually what made them special. Um, or we've done it the other way where you add 15 pounds and then you lose the bounce. Uh, but in the case of Taylor Horton, Tucker, he's got unbelievable bounce. He's got the ability to drive to the basket. He gets by guys. Um, he's really, really kind of a powerful driving guard who tried to learn how to play point guard last year. And in the final 24 games of the year, averaged 17 points, five rebounds, six assists. 17 points, five rebounds, and six assists. He also shot 42% and 43% from three, which is not super. We stretched him so far beyond what was a reasonable expectation in those final 24 games. He drove to the basket in those games, the fifth most of any player in the final 24 games in the NBA. The only players who drove to the basket more than Taylor Horton Tucker were Shea Gilgis Alexander, Trey Young, Spencer Dinwiddie, and De'Aaron Fox in the final 24 games of the season. There's no reason that that's the user usage rate and threshold that we should ever be asking out of Taylor Horton Tucker. I don't think this is an either-or conversation in any way, shape, or form. I do not think this is an either-or conversation in any way, shape, or form. Let me say that clearly. But I... I just gave you that Taylor Horton Tucker in the final 24 games averaged 17 points, five rebounds, six assists, shot 43% from the floor and 32% from three. Okay. The 32% from three is problematic. We'll get to that in a second. The 43 is not great, but just for perspective, because he's a similar aged player and in a different stage in their career, in the final 27 games of the year, which is the same time period, it starts, and I could, if you know, if you think that's unfair, we could move it to the final 24 and be exactly the same. Ochai Abaji shot 40.5% and 34% from three. And yet, the Ochai Abaji, like future thoughts, love, which is great, through the roof. And if you take it to the exactly to the same thing where you take it the final 24 games of games played, he's 40 and 34. And Taylor was 43 and 32. Neither are great. Both were being stretched way beyond where you would reasonably expect them to be as a player. Okay. So that's, that's a little bit why, but I just think it's, and again, I don't think it's an either or. I'm just the, the, because Ochai was a rookie, because Ochai was our per, a pick, because Ochai's the, like, is hope. I think as we traded for Taylor Horton Tucker, like, there's one of them has this great hope, and the other one I think is the forgotten guy. That's kind of all I'm saying there. It's not, but I also would say that, like, 
if you're dismissing Taylor Norton Tucker and saying, I don't think he's got a chance then I'm, but you do think that you're, but you're dead set that Ochai abaji has got a future. Uh, like where are you, where's that coming from? I think Ochai's going to be really good. I like them both really is really what you're getting to here. Um, and I like them both personally an awful lot. I would say this about both of them are really thoughtful, interesting people. Um, Taylor's got this very interesting background where the, where he grew up on South side, Chicago, and the community he lives on the street is now named after his grandmother for her incredible work in the community. Like, pretty cool. All right. So when you look at Ochai, you've got a you got a baby, 22-year-old, massive a level of experience for a 22-year-old. And you've got him with a superpower, which is driving the basket, getting to the rim, and being able to get by guys. And then he's got this incredible size. He's 6'4 with a 7'1 length. He's, pro- he's pretty good defensively. I didn't go to B-ball index. I should have done B-ball. I was going to do B-ball index stuff on all of our players coming up. It's a great site. We don't use it. Um, and I was going to look at B-ball index and try to see, I should have pulled it up for this, you know, where he ranks defensively. Because it does feel like he does a pretty darn good job in the work he puts in with his length and his size of being able to cause um, an impact on guys. His... His weakness, his issue, is he doesn't shoot it well enough. He's a 32, in the last 24 games of the season, he was a 32% three-point shooter, and for his career, he's 28%. Kind of fades back, does some funky things, needs to be a, he's, he's not a good shooter. And therefore, he must have the ball in his hands. Or else he doesn't have the gravity that he needs to have to be successful. This is, frankly, probably in some ways why um, why you look at somebody like Ochai Baji and you see some other skills that get you pretty excited. But the fact of the matter is that that's the problem for Taylor Horton Tucker is that he does not, he has to have the ball in his hands. And so now what do you do with him? Well, let's look at the final 24 games when he was, Stretched two fake sneezes there for those on audio. Stretched way beyond kind of what you would naturally how you would naturally use him to one of the highest usage players in the NBA. And and what did he do well and what did he do not so well? And does that give us any feeling on where he fits for the future? That's coming up next as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. The Show is brought to you today by our friends over at FanDuel. This is your opportunity and your chance to get into the game and take a swing at MLB. A little Major League Baseball betting for your first time. If you do it with FanDuel, you get 10 times your first bet back in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Get Just bet 20 bucks and you land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 you can spend on everything from the money line to over-under, who you think is going to win the hit the first home run, take Shohei, in the, for the Angels, evidently. All on the app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel. It's America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on also FanDuel has all the NBA over under win numbers in there bunch of fun things about who's gonna win most improved who's gonna be your sixth man there's some jazz players you certainly could take it's all over at FanDuel you could probably get your 
Bonus bets on that as well, by the way, if you've never got in 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets. So sign up today, fanduel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. Fanduel.com slash locked on. All right, so let's look at what Taylor did in the final parts of this year because it was pretty crazy. So Taylor had 640 drives last year. So just head down, drive the best. Second most of anyone on the roster other than Jordan Clarkson's 954. Clarkson was about 1.04. Sexton is our best driver, particularly particularly if you can get Colin to do it coming um, from off the ball, right? So if Colin can come uh, off the ball, driving off the wing, he's pretty great. 1.15 points per drive. Um, that's, that's really good by the way. Um, and that's where I think if you, when you kind of look at what Colin can do, this is, that's the best example I have of Will Hardy finding a player's superpower is when letting Colin Saxton just drive to the basket off ball, not having to come through traffic. Um, super impressive. In fact, if you kind of look, I was looking at where Colin ranked. If you look at the top Hundred guys. I don't know if Colin ended up with enough drives. Yes, he did. Uh, he was about 91st in drive or 84th in drives last year. So if you look at the top hundred guys in the league last year in drives, um, for Colin, uh, you know, the best are Joel Embiid, Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant, De'Aaron Fox, Steph Curry, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, and then Colin Sexton is the ninth best driving to the basket in the NBA, right? I'm pretty incredible. So again, the top drive guys in the NBA are Bead, Doncic, Durant, Fox, Curry, Irving, Lillard, Leonard, and then Colin Sexton. DeMar DeRozan, Harrison Barnes, Giannis, Tyrese Maxey, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown. Colin's got like Will Hardy tapped in last year to Colin Sexton's superpower. It's pretty great. He then... Put Taylor Horton Tucker out there, show his super what if he his superpower could hold and drop 41 one game. So after February 7th, when Taylor comes back in the lineup, he's been, if you recall, he's kind of been yo-yoed in and out of the lineup. He has 382 drives. Dunn has 263. Kelly Olinick has the third most at 171. The Taylor is takes the as I said earlier, the fifth most amount of drives of any player in the NBA in that time period. Out of the top 100, he ranks 70th. So that's not great, right? But I don't think any of us think Taylor Horton Tucker is like about to be an all-star. And ranking 70th isn't great, but on the other end, I don't think there's any reason why we would ever anticipate Taylor Horton Tucker to have to have the fifth highest drive rate in the NBA. The thing that's amazing to me there is the fact that he did have the fifth highest drive rate in the NBA. Okay? Like, the fact that he actually can get it down, put it on the deck, and get by guys to the on a drive to the basket at the fifth highest rate of anyone in the NBA for the final 24 games is the superpower. The efficiency is not. He does not finish great at the rim. That's been a real struggle. But the being able to do that first and foremost is a special skill. Now... If he's coming off the bench and he's suddenly only doing that against second-tier guys instead of first-tier guys, can you get his efficiency from 70th out of 100 
So in the 30th percentile, up to the 50th or the 60th percentile in efficiency, you really might have a really nice player in as a backup guard right there. Frankly, if you can get him to finish at the rim, he's a 62.7% finisher within three feet, according to basketball reference. But if you kind of back it out and do look at NBA stats and some of the player stats on him there, you end up, it's a little less encouraging. Um, with how he his inability to finish at the rim. He's got, and that's where he's just got this power and strength, and now he's got to figure out how to use it. And that's where, to me, when I look at Taylor Horton Tucker on this, I still see that. That's where I really say, okay, well, he's still super young. So let me not judge that, okay, he can't finish at the rim. Let me just think for a second and say, like, what what can't, you know, how how does he develop that? And how does he learn how to do that? Because that actually ch- would change his game a decent amount. He shoot inside eight feet. He shoots fifty two point four percent at the rim. And he he can improve that a great deal. Just in the restricted area, he's only fifty seven percent at the rim. He can improve that a great deal. Okay. Again, he's got to improve his shooting. He's above the break three last year. It was a twenty eight point three percent, which really means he has to have the ball in his hands. Okay. Um, the other one is pick and roll. So in the final 24 games of the year, Taylor Horton Tucker ran 676 pick and rolls, which is the 18th most of any guard in the NBA in the final 24 games of the season last year from February 8th on. <clears throat> Again, no way do you ever want Taylor Horton Tucker having that type of usage rate. And frankly, I don't think people thought he could run the pick and roll at all because the Lakers had used him as a 3 and D spot up wing. Chris Dunn ran 339 and Clarkson ran 173 in that point. So of the, he ran about 67% of our pick and rolls in that time frame. He was not great at it. He ranked 79th out of the 100 most pick and rolls. Turned it over a tremendous amount, but again, not something he'd ever done before. Certainly a wild stretch beyond what he'd done. And there is a level in this league to me of if you, the first thing you have to be able to do is be able to do it. Again, just using Ochai as our example, because it's an easy, like, and their games are super different. Like Ochai hopefully is going to be able to shoot and then, and different. But I don't think that Ochai could run 676 pick and rolls. We're, we're trying, we're going to try to develop it. Maybe in two years in the NBA and a 500 games in the NBA, like Talon has, he'll be able to do that. I, I, I don't think these are the same players. I'm just using a player you guys have a reference to. Like, I, I just, he, he had a stone. So the fact that we like said to Taylor, like, here it is, like, go try this. Hadn't really ever played point guard in the NBA. Had done it a tiny bit at Iowa State, but not much. And really played kind of a center at Simeon. So just a wild brand new experience and not just a minor wild brand new experience, but a throw you into the middle of the deep end, 18th most of anybody in the NBA in that time frame. Wasn't good at it. 0.92. It's not good enough. Chris Dunn was a 1.02 in that time period, and Jordan Clarkson was a 1.09. So what did we learn in the final 24 games from Taylor Horton Tucker? What I think we learned is that he has the superpower, using a Will Hardy term, of to do these things. And now the question is, can he do them well? And I go back to thinking about the way the Bulls used Lowry Markkinen which is not, like, I don't think that Taylor Horton Tucker is a ninth pick of a draft who becomes a 
borderline all-NBA player. But one of the travesties of the way that the Bulls used Lowry Markkinen is that they gave him all these opportunities. He failed at them, and then they went, ah, he's not very, he's, he can't do it. And then they really never gave him the chance again. What I'm here to say on Taylor Horton Tucker is, let's see. We opened up his game last year into like this massive opportunity of stuff that he had never, ever done before in his career. With pick and rolls and drives and at, at high usage rates. And he turned into 17 points, five rebounds and six assists with moderate to inefficiency. Let's see. What happens if it's in a regular format where he's coming off the bench and he's doing it for 16 minutes a night and he's doing it against mostly backups and he's using his size and strength? Like, let's see. And I can see where we don't see, right? Like, where suddenly your starting guards, we talked about yesterday, could be Jordan Clarkson and Ochai Abaji, and your backup guards are Colin Sexton and Keontae George, and suddenly Taylor Horton Tucker is out of the rotation. And you never, you don't get it to see. I do think he has some level of a superpower that's worth tapping into that has not a lot to get him to being really, really efficient and good, is my point. Like, he can figure out how to rim finish with that size and that strength and get his footwork down, That then he's okay. If he can get his shooting to 34%, then he's good. And those are the two things you got to work on. And let's let's see what he did. 22 years old still. That may be the most important thing when t- discussing Taylor Horton Tucker. All right, uh, why the uh, Omir Yurtsevin uh, signing was actually important. And what are the Raptors doing? We're touching on that as we continue here on Locked on Jazz. Thank you very much to all of the everydayers that jump aboard each and every day and join us on the program. Um, I'm going to do, I was going to do something about John Collins tomorrow. I'll do some. Um, I haven't prepared out, so or I can do it Monday. Uh, but I do want to do an Ask LOJ. I feel like we haven't all chatted in a little while. And so tomorrow, ask LOJ, if you're listening right now, send me a tweet, an X, with a hashtag, ask LOJ, and then I'll be able to get it, and we'll fire it up uh, for tomorrow's show. Uh, you know, hey, below the radar, $2 million year signing, but the Omer Yurtsevin um, signing, I think, was important for a few reasons. Um, <clears throat> one is... Backup center should be a million dollars. That's the reality. Like they're, they're the running back, if you're following the NFL, of the NBA. Backup centers should be a million or two dollars. They should be minimum players. Um, it's not where to spend your money. Like you, I think you can't afford to have 50, 60 million caught up in centers. The the second thing is we just didn't have a backup center for Walker Kessler at all. Um, and I, I don't think we want someone to play, but I also don't think Walker's playing 82. Like guys play 73 games on average. No guys play 71 games on average. That's kind of the average NBA player misses about 11 games. So we were at a point where suddenly, you know, I'm not sure that, um, that Omir starts, if Walker goes out, you might start Kelly Olenek or do something else. But you needed something that was viable there. And there's just was there's not a lot in the market and there's just not a lot of way to spend that. I'm not about to tell you that, you know, the game he started against us 
to me, showed me all this amazing skill. I mean, he's totally viable, which is really what you're looking for. And he did start against us last year, kind of, or I think he played 11 minutes against us, maybe didn't start kind of out of nowhere. Like he had not been playing. They, I think he'd played maybe one game the night before he had come off the, I remember actually walking around listening to Locked On Heat. Um, and they had played in Orlando the night before, I think. Maybe when I was listening to the podcast, I know exactly where I was walking around. And they were talking about how Yurt Saban had come off the bench and played for the first time all year. And like, and then all of a sudden he played 11 minutes against us. I was like, thank goodness for Wes Goldberg and David Ramil and the fact that I had some level of prep to know that that was coming. Um, and, um, so anyway, I just think it, it was actually subtly important. We just didn't have a backup point guard. I'm not about to tell you that like his 22 point game against Sacramento the year prior was assigned to me that he's going to be great or his 22 point game against Philadelphia. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I haven't watched enough of him to really know, but he is viable. He does move well. Um, he's played enough. He's old enough. He's got multiple college years of experience in the, in America at NC state and Georgetown. And I actually think it was super important. Like we suddenly had a gap in our um, roster that needed to be filled. And you got a 25 year old center for it. So right now, if you go to the NBA fan duel over under win totals, the Jazz are, like, we talked about this this week, the Jazz have, like, the sixth worst record in the NBA, which is, like, you kind of like, really? It gets interesting with our draft pick situation where if it's top 10, we keep it. Um, the other thing that is interesting about that is the Toronto Raptors are right above the Jazz at seventh. The third thing that's interesting about that, by the way, is that there's actually, like, five, four or five teams that are all kind of the exact same. Like Utah, Indiana, Chicago, there's like a bunch of them. So that, like if we were to over exceed the expectation by a slight amount, we moved to like 12th, like in two games, which is, I think what the jazz are banking on. I think they're much better than everybody else thinks they are just fine. Uh, which could like probably true. Like, I think people are missing the boat a little bit on just kind of what, what's been built, who Walker Kessler is, how good that kind of thing. Um, What's interesting to me, though, is that Toronto is right there. Like, what is Toronto doing? Pascal Siakam's a free agent at the end of the year. There's all sorts of reports of team chemistry problems between Pascal Siakam kind of having a camp that Fred Van Vliet was in and OG Ananobi and his group having a group that they're in like that's kind of what's being talked about in the league and like Fred Van Vliet's interviews in Houston kind of said it was there like I always love like you can like for all these years we had the Clippers supposedly hated each other so much that they couldn't practice and then Chris Paul moves and Blake Griffin moves and then Chris Paul like goes through the backsides of Staples Center to go try to punch somebody else oh well, evidently that was true and then Doc Rivers in the upcoming years has actually now come out and said it's true like oh yeah we just didn't get along we couldn't even be in the same room together so the the rumor we'll find out if it's true over years well, actually, I take it back. We just found out it's true. Fred Van Vliet just told us is that that team had all sorts of internal chemistry and that the young guys, Scotty Barnes and OG Ananobi, kind of had their vision of where it was going. And Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet, the veterans, had their vision of where it was going. It was totally different. Like, that's literally Fred Van Vliet came out and said it. So what are they doing with Pascal Siakam? Or what are they just doing? Like, I'm mystified on 
I mean, their front office has been nails. They won a championship. They pulled the Kawhi Leonard deal. They're like Sean Woodley of Locked on Raptors did the super interesting show this week about like, they're just uh, experiment six, nine where everybody's six, nine is still there. And then they drafted Grady Dick. Who's not quite that, but that's might be a nice change. And, you know, really interesting point by Sean. Like if everyone is six, nine, you're not versatile. You're actually all the same. And so Pascal Siakam is just kind of floating out there still as a potential player in the trade market. He's up for an extension that they're clearly not giving him. He's a free agent at the end of the year. And it just feels like all the Harden and the Lillard talk, like this is the name that to me might skew things or move the meter the most. And from a jazz standpoint, what I think is super interesting, he's 29 years old. He doesn't quite match our timeline. He matches Lowry's a little bit. Is despite he's not a great three-point shooter, he did average 24 points, eight rebounds, and six assists last year. Like, would we be willing to sign him? Like, do we like we're willing to like we is Pascal Siakam also with his unique background of going to New Mexico State, coming from Cameroon, found by I think found by Joel Embiid. Is that right? On a the, the, no, can't be that uh, Luke Bahamute, um, I think, uh, in a uh, basketball without borders, like an unbelievably kind of great story. Yeah, Luke and Bob Mute, um, was there. Um, his old, you know, played basketball because all of his older brothers played, his, uh, all of his older brothers ended up with Division One scholarships. He goes to New Mexico State, last pick, one of the last picks of the first round, and like just thrives. Um, I mean, it's a great story. I, is he with that unique background, one that might decide like, oh, I don't need New York. I don't need, he might, he's been in Toronto. He's been the greatest city in North America or one of the greatest, maybe the greatest like this. But anyway, it's just an interesting thing. I'm just watching Toronto really, really closely. Like I think there's a bunch of super important stories that are going on right now. And the quietness of the year, no one's talking about the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George's Clippers, Kawhi Leonard being crickets is interesting to me. As I mentioned earlier this week, Obviously, Harden and Lillard, but I think Siakam should be in that conversation just as much as everything else. And frankly, you go put Pascal Siakam on a good team as your third best player instead of as your best player. He's got to be willing to do that. The way like an Aaron Gordon went to Denver and Pascal Siakam's probably better than Aaron Gordon. And oh my goodness, does he change the landscape of what's going on there? Like we frankly, if we had a Pascal Siakam to go with Lowry marketing, we'd be pretty good. And we suddenly be able to do a lot of different things. Now, would we be good enough? Would it hurt our championship? Like, at some point, there's two sides of the story. At some point, we have to use our assets. At the other point, you don't want to use your assets for something that makes you kind of good. And then when you need the assets, you're short one. That would be the disaster. That's the dance that Danny and Justin are playing. Have a great one. Thank you very much. It is uh, Ask LOJ tomorrow. So please submit your questions via Twitter at hashtag Ask LOJ. You're the best. Thanks to the everydayers who are out there and the great YouTube conversation. Appreciate all of you.